Well, there are four people in my family of origin. There's my father, my mother, my older brother, and me. I'm the younger brother. And as the younger brother, I know the constant knowledge that I grew up with of knowing that at any place and at any time, my older brother may pummel me. (laughs) I remember the house that I grew up in, same house my parents live in. Some of you have been there. The hallway that leads down to where my brother's room is and and my room is, uh, just around the corner, there's a little side closet. We keep all the games there. And there were times that I would gingerly walk down that hallway because my brother once in a while would crouch behind that and he would leap out and tackle me. And there was times that I did that and he wasn't even home. I was so embarrassed. I would go and I'd creep and, and, and he wouldn't be there. And I, oh yeah, that's right. He's at basketball practice. I think like, man, what sort of What sort of influence does he have on my life? But our fights actually were extremely rare. They were extremely rare. In fact, I was thinking earlier this week, if if my family was one of those families that I guess nowadays is popular because of having a reality TV show, no one would have watched. No one would have watched because really the conflict was was very, very uh, minimal. In fact, my parents didn't even watch, and it was happening in real time and unedited for them. So there there wasn't a a whole lot of of excitement going on. And what I'd like to say, I I still say it, I say it as a kid, and I still say it now. What I'd like to say is our fights were extremely rare because I was too smart. I realized my brother, he was older than me, he was bigger than me, he was tougher than me. This could not end well. So I'd like to say, well, I was just too smart. That's the reason why I, I, I didn't get into a fight or prolong the fight. My brother would say, well, you know, Keith, you were just too scared. But whatever the reality is, the truth of it is I have far less scars because of it. But there were times when I thought about getting even with my brother, even though I knew that the eventual payback would not be worth it. I remember when I was fairly young, uh, he and I were playing one-on-one basketball outside of our house, and he was beating me quite handily, and I was getting frustrated. And at this one moment, I don't even remember what part of the game was, at this one moment, I let my emotional side defeat my logical side, and I took the basketball and I threw it at him. And we both kind of paused for a second and thought, what just happened? And then I got my wits about me and I ran. And thankfully, you know, I was, I was pretty quick back then. So I ran, and he couldn't quite catch up to me, but of course my endurance gave out. And the only thing separating my brother and I was a, a green electrical box. And so the, the electrical box was just wide enough that if he started to run around it, you know, I could make my way around the other side. It was just tall enough that he couldn't quite climb over it or else I could go to another area. And I thought to myself, how often did our fights involve some sort of innocent object keeping the peace. You know, the kitchen table, a chair. In this case, I thanked God for that green electrical box. But I remember looking at my brother, and I could see the vengeance on his face. And I remember thinking to myself, this is not going to end well. He is definitely going to get me back. The basketball was not a very good idea. I often told my brother that someday, someday I might grow up to be bigger and stronger than you, and then I'm going to pay you back for all the violence that you inflicted on me. And my brother said, well, that might be true. That might be true. And what younger sibling is 
here today who has not thought that. It's the dream of every younger brother and every younger sister. Someday, I'm going to grow up to be bigger, and then it'll be payback time. But my brother wisely noted to me, that might be true, but by the time you get bigger than me, we'll be too old and too mature to handle our accounts that way. My brother was right. The fighting has stopped. And I was wrong. I never grew up to be bigger or stronger than my brother. So he was right and I was wrong on both accounts. But even though we never settled the score like we used to, payback is still part of the equation. Payback is always part of the equation. No matter what sort of relationship you are in, it's always an option. It's always a temptation. It always lingers there. We aren't the only brothers that act this way. A good part of the world's population will watch later today at the Super Bowl as two brothers fight one another in a sense. Each will guide his own team to defeat the other's team. Brother against brother. And at the end of the game, Jim Harbaugh and John Harbaugh will meet at midfield and they'll shake hands. They might even force a hug. And I don't think it's going to take very long at all after the game for the media to declare the next game the payback game. This brother lost to his brother last time. What will happen during the payback game? Now, it doesn't matter if you're a younger brother or an older sister or a middle child. You know what payback is all about. You know the idea of getting back at someone or evening the score because it's as common to us as the sun going down. It's part of us. Payback is part of our psyche. And many of us instinctively applaud those who avenge themselves. The payback story. Author Douglas Moo has said that the desire to avenge ourselves on those who harm us is deeply rooted in human nature. Vengeance is planted so deeply within our cultural values that many of us don't even think about it. Payback feels like it's more of a reaction than it is of an option. In fact, taking revenge is often the advice that others give us when we face some of these difficult circumstances. When we tell others about what someone has done to us or how we have felt, they almost instinctively say, well, this is what you should do to get even. Why don't you do this? If they did that to you, then you should just do that. And even though that may not be great advice, there's something about that storyline of evening the score or payback that makes it very difficult not to watch. Whether that storyline is real or fictitious, it usually gets our attention. In fact, in my opinion, some of the most thrilling stories and some of the best movies are payback stories. The Godfather, Sleepers, Braveheart, Gangs of New York, The Italian Job, Gladiator, and my personal favorite, The Count of Monte Cristo the greatest payback story of all. And these are just movies and books that I've seen and read. There's others. Kill Bill. Unforgiven. Payback. It's right there in the title. (laughs) Mel Gibson is like in every one of these movies. (laughs) I was looking at these online. Every single movie is a payback movie. Man on Fire. V for Vendetta. 
ABC has a television show out called Revenge. Now, I've never seen the show, but I'm pretty sure I know what it's about. And it's ABC's highest rated show in that television time slot since Lost. Payback is popular. It's popular because we can all relate to it. Not one of us haven't been wronged at some point and haven't thought about wanting to do something about it. Payback is our usual and typical reaction to writing the score. I think some of us think it's about, it's about claiming and implementing justice on our own terms. But I think payback is also popular because some of us believe that it will actually work. Some of us think that it won't just make us feel better, it won't just bring about justice, but that it will actually bring about a sense of peace. I was reminded of, a, of another movie that it doesn't really have a, a strong payback or vengeance storyline, but it's interspersed in it just a little bit. It's the Star Wars trilogy or double trilogy or however you want to explain those six movies. And in the third movie, very interesting scene in the third movie, the, the emperor, the evil emperor who has this mastermind plan to wipe out the Jedi and to rule the galaxy, after he converts Anakin Skywalker to become Darth Vader, after he recruits him as his apprentice, he says this to him, once more the Sith will rule the galaxy and we shall have peace. And, and he outlines this plan that's partly motivated by revenge, and we don't get that whole storyline of, of how Jedi and Sith have kind of gone back and forth, but it's this motivated plan of payback. We're going to wipe them out, we're going to pay back, vengeance is ours, and then we shall have peace. Now, Star Wars is a fictitious story, but like every good fiction, <laughs> sorry that I ruined that for a few people, but like every good fiction, we get a good sense of the values of each character. For the emperor, the pathway to priests involved a good amount of payback. And many fictitious characters aren't that much different than you and I. But if you really want to live at peace, if you really want to live at peace, you have to find another way. I've never seen payback bring about peace. I've never seen that. haven't seen it in my life. haven't seen it in anyone else's life. I've seen it result in bitterness, I've seen it result in paranoia and rage and tragedy, but never peace. And if we've learned anything during our teaching series in the book of Romans chapter 12, I hope it's the understanding that living by our natural tendencies and our natural desires is not God's plan for our life. As the Apostle Paul would say, living according to the sinful nature is not what God intends for us. That's why our series is called Upside Down. It's this idea that the call for the Christian, someone who has now been transformed, is to live different from the sinful nature, to live counterculturally. And this is why Paul explains that there's this need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. For those who choose to follow Jesus, it's not just business as usual. It is not just life as I've always known it. Change is necessary. We must relearn how to live. So the, despite the fact that revenge is perhaps our, our natural inclination, our MO, we have to understand that when we are wronged, 
it really does not result in bringing about peace. And we really shouldn't be surprised when we think about the scriptures that they would tell us that taking revenge or going for payback is not the right course of action. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to look at three verses this morning, verses 17, 18, and 19, to see what the Apostle Paul says about this theme of payback bringing about peace. He says this in the NIV version, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. According to Paul, payback is never justified. Do not repay. Do not take revenge. And the reason why we're told not to do these things is because Christians are called to be peacemakers. And payback is not our job. It's the Lord's job. Pastor Brad's going to talk a little bit more about that next week as we conclude our series. But sandwiched in between these commands from do not repay or do not pay back evil for evil and do not take revenge is this call to live at peace with everyone. Paul shows that peace is not accomplished through payback. It doesn't work. Now, Hollywood would gasp at this idea. I mean, there goes a great many of their their story ideas. But this really shouldn't surprise us. Whether you've read the Bible or not, bits and pieces, whether you've been raised in the church, whether you've committed your life to Jesus, or whether you have not made that decision at all, you probably aren't surprised that the Bible says, resist this temptation to pay people back. Resist this temptation to take vengeance. But what is surprising is how Paul talks about peace. What he says about peace is incredibly surprising. Listen to verse 18 once more. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This is the Apostle Paul. Now, for all of Paul's moxie throughout Romans and through all of his writings, this verse is far less bold. I mean, we aren't used to Paul giving us qualifiers when he gives us command. And yet here, he gives us two big ones. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you. Throughout this series, and if you have your Bibles in front of you, look back up at verse 9 where we began this series. Paul just gives it to us. Direct, bold teaching time and time again. Bless those who persecute you. Practice hospitality. Share with God's people who are in need. Hate what is evil. Keep your spiritual fervor. There's no footnotes. There's no parenthetical comments. There's no, yeah, but if this, then you know what? Maybe you don't have to do that. He doesn't say practice hospitality unless the people you are having come over have unruly children. Then don't worry about it. He doesn't say hate what is evil, but if you have a really, really bad day and you need to go home and kind of get rid of some stress, just do a few semi-evil things to make yourself feel better and then go about your day. No, his words are very direct. Very, very clear. And he uses strong verbs. Listen to some of these verbs that he uses. Bless, practice, do, share, be, keep, hate, honor, live. These are the verbs that drive each one of his commands. And in our English copies of the Bible, 
these are the verbs that start each one of these commands. He starts off by saying, do this, keep that, resist this, bless those. But when we reach verse 17, it's like Paul steps back just a little bit. And he begins by saying, if. If it is possible. And then he does it a second time and says, as far as it depends on you. Why? Why the qualifiers? Why does Paul seem to dance around this topic just a little bit? Well, maybe it's because living at peace with others is difficult. We know that, right? But when you think about the other commands that he gives, they don't sound all that easy either. I mean, blessing those who persecute you, that seems to take a fair bit of effort, right? Honoring those above ourselves, I'm still working on that. I think we could use a few qualifiers on that. But he doesn't give us those. So what's the difference with this one? Why does he give us qualifiers about peace? Well, if we look at the exact language that Paul uses, we encounter the reality of these statements. The qualifiers are used because they help us understand the full context of what Paul is saying in this command. If it is possible, reminds us that living at peace with everyone isn't always possible. Anyone want to agree with that statement? Any sort of amens on that? If it is possible, reminds us that living at peace with others isn't always possible. Beyond the fact that people are hard to get along with is the fact that some people simply don't want to be peaceful people. They're unhappy. They're jealous. They're selfish. They're sinful. They're in pain. They are just like each one of us. But for those who have chosen to follow after Jesus, for those who have chosen to have their mind and their actions renewed by his power, we have the opportunity to respond in new God-honoring ways. We have the opportunity to respond with patience and compassion and gentleness and self-control and love. But not all people choose to live this way. And one of the consequences of people choosing not to live this way is that in interpersonal relationships, sometimes they are not peaceful. Rick Warren explains it this way. I love this quote. He says, The Bible points out that it's not always possible to live at peace with everybody. There are some people you just can't get along with. There are some people, no matter how nice you are to them, are still going to be mean to you. There are some people who, no matter what you do, are still going to poke you in the eye. It doesn't have anything to do with you. It has to do with their pain and their hurt. The peaceful possibility is not always possible. Which is why Paul begins this command with that qualifier, if it is possible. And it's also why he uses another qualifier, As far as it depends on you, reminds us that sometimes living at peace with others doesn't depend completely on us. Peacemakers can't do it alone. It takes two. It takes two. You can do everything in your power to be a peacemaker, and it's still possible that the final result will not be a peaceful one. And even if, that pers- even if peace with that person is possible, there are some situations in life when peace is not worth the cost. Now, let me explain this. A Christian's primary goal is not to live at peace with everyone. 
That's not a Christian's primary goal. A Christian's primary goal is to be obedient to Christ. That is where our loyalty should lie. And there are times, and they're quite rare, but there are times when these two objectives will be opposed to one another. Being obedient to Christ and living at peace with everyone. Now, Jesus was called the Prince of Peace. And yet, his actions force us to rethink what peace really is. Jesus gave no apologies for overthrowing tables, for chasing money changers out of the temple. He didn't hold back when he called Pharisees blind guides and fools and hypocrites. And his understanding of peace had to have been different because at one point he tells his disciples not to think that he came into the world to bring peace on the earth, but to bring a sword. And then there's Paul. Paul, a man who refused to back down when the integrity of the gospel was at stake. In the book of Galatians, he shares a story that he opposed Peter, another apostle. He opposed him to his face. And he seems to write it with almost a sense of satisfaction. He explains that Peter was clearly in the wrong and that he saw that Peter and others were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. And yet, Here's the same Paul writing to the Romans, urging his readers to live at peace with everyone. Which is the same message of Jesus, who also said that peacemakers will be blessed. They will be called sons of God. So how does any of this make sense? Which one's peace? How are we supposed to interpret what peace is really like so that we can live according to it with other people? Author Frederick Buechner believes that the apparent contradiction is resolved when we realize that for Jesus, peace seems to have not meant the absence of struggle, but the presence of love. Love does not always feel peaceful, even though pure love is always truthful and beneficial. And the peace that Paul talks about here in verse 18 is not unlike the sincere love that he talks about in verse 9 that serves as a heading for this whole section. Do everything you can to live at peace, but don't betray your loyalty to Christ in the process. Living at peace with everyone isn't always possible, and it doesn't always depend on us, but we're still told to do it. We're still told to live at peace with everyone. And this is Paul's point in this section of Scripture. Do everything you can to live at peace with everyone. Do everything you can to live at peace with everyone. If you approach every relationship this way, with this strategy, with this vision, with this goal of doing everything you can to live at peace with that person, you're going to have a very, very high chance that you will, in fact, live at peace with that person. But the peaceful possibility is not necessarily a guarantee. Many of us know what it means to live in a broken relationship. Many of us are still in the middle of living in a broken relationship. If you've done everything you can to live at peace with that person, there's really nothing else you can do. It might not depend on you any longer. Peace may not be possible at this moment. It may not be possible at a future moment. 
If you have done everything you can to live at peace with that person, you have been obedient to God's work. And even though you may not be able to live at peace with that person, you can be at peace knowing that you have been obedient to the Lord. There's a few of you who might need to hear that word. There's a few of you who may have been bearing this burden of living in an unpeaceful relationship with someone for years. If you've done everything that you can to live at peace with that person, God is honored. Sometimes we just can't live at peace with everyone. But there are many more of us who have not done everything that we can to live at peace with everyone. We haven't done enough. And this is understandable because people are tough to get along with. Especially the people that hurt us. And the people that don't want to reconcile. The people that have wronged us. But peace is not going to happen on its own. It might still be a possibility, but you have to do everything you can to get there. Some of you have done this. You've done everything in your power to reconcile, to love, to accept, to extend forgiveness, to forgive that person. Now your job, if you're in that boat, your job now is to keep the door open, keep praying, and to wait. If you've done everything that you can to live at peace with that person, you keep the door open, you keep praying, and you wait. Who knows? There may be a day when God works on that person's heart that allows that peaceful relationship to be restored. But if you have not done everything you can to live at peace with that person, you have a different job. Your job is to see what God needs to do in your own heart first. You might think that you've tried to live at peace, but have you really exhausted every possibility? If you're in this situation, the question that I want you to ask is this, Lord, what else can I do? What else can I do to live at peace with that person? What can I do to heal my heart towards that person? What can I do to help them understand that I want to reconcile that relationship? What do I need to do, Lord, to be healed myself of perhaps some of the bitterness and the anger and the resentment that I feel towards that person? God speaks to us in many different ways when we ask him questions like this. Some of you may find that you're able to hear from God when you simply ask the question and create space to listen. Some of you may hear from him directly in that way. I've heard from God in that way before, but I don't often hear from him in that way. And I find that when I'm dealing with a situation that is interpersonal in nature, when I'm in conflict with someone or I'm trying to figure out what I should do, the best way that I hear from God is when I talk about it with someone else. I find it helpful to talk with someone that I trust, someone who isn't afraid to challenge my motives or my pride, someone who values the teaching of the Scripture and can direct me in the way that I should go, someone who's willing to listen to me, someone who's willing to pray with me. And we have people here today at our church that are willing to do these things with you. They can help you process the question of whether you have done everything that you can to live at peace with everyone. These people are part of our prayer team. And in just a couple of minutes, they're going to make themselves available over by the front windows. And so please come and talk to them. Their names are Katie Kwan and Dave Pasco and John Mayer. And you can tell them as much or as little as you would like to 
and they will listen, and they will do their best as God empowers them to, to help you process what you should do, what the next step should be to live at peace with that person. But you can also stay where you are. You can stay where you're seated. Ask the same question, Lord, what can I do? What else can I do? Jared's going to come up, and he's just going to play some music for us to listen to as we reflect, as we pray, as we search our hearts, and as we consider what we need to do as we live at peace with all people. The truth of our lives shows us that the pathway to peace is not through payback. The truth of the Bible shows us that the pathway to peace involves humility. For we must humble ourselves if we want to do everything we can to live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Let's pray and let's listen to God.
God, not our sinful natures. We pray that our minds would be transformed by the renewing of your spirit. We pray, God, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear your voice to this question that we ask. What can we do? What else can I do, God, to live at peace with that person? Lord, I trust that you will speak to your people in this way. May you provide courage to those to do what is difficult for the sake of living at peace with others, for the sake of being obedient to you. Thank you for your word that convicts, that inspires, that moves us into your truth and in your peace when we follow it. Amen.